that God himself accepted what Jesus did at Calvary's cross as payment in full for the sins of the whole world for everyone now and forevermore that sacrifice that offering that was given for us is still still in effect 2,000 years later today's message from Harvest Church of God Pastor Jerry Irwin asks, do you practice grace giving? We should be grace dispensers and practice grace giving as Jesus did. Father, we come into your presence now at this moment in this service to open the pages of your book of life. We ask you to touch us with divine enablement today to speak the word of God as you've given it to the spokesperson. God, you've commissioned me to stand in this pulpit today and deliver your word. These are just not ordinary times. These are very difficult times, God. And we need your voice. We need your word to give us instruction and to give us inspiration and give us encouragement. Touch us today, O oh Lord, through the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read verse 7 through 9. We're starting on a celebration of the Christian holidays geared more toward the end of the year and uh, culminating with Thanksgiving uh, later on uh, this month. I'm going to be preaching to you today about grace giving. Grace giving. Anybody in this house know what grace giving is? Grace giving is giving because of what God gave. Amen. God is a God of all grace and He's a God that has given to us all things. Can you say all things? All things. God has given to us all things richly to enjoy. Did you know the greatest competition that God has for our hearts and our devotion is one thing. It's our possessions. That's right. Did you know the Bible has more to say about our possessions than anything else? Any other subject. There's hell, judgment, Sin, all of those things are secondary to the one thing God feels most strongly about. And he so intimates that to us when he says, If any man or woman will come after me, there's one thing he's got to do. He's got to prioritize the relationship with God. And that means that we've got to say no to ourselves. Let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. That's the intention of God for every one of us. And that makes God not just our owner because we're bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus, but it makes God the one who directs our life and God the one who gives us the information that we need to live our lives, a life that is dependent upon God and His grace. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto us, Titus 2, 11 and 12, hath appeared unto us teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Now that becomes the practicality, the living out every day, day to day, of knowing and serving and loving and worshiping the Lord Jesus. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, number one, soberly. That means alert. That means aware of what's going on. Soberly, righteously. That means in right standing. That means nothing between my soul and the Savior. Righteously and godly. 
That means God-like and the attributes that God has, love and grace and kindness and mercy, that we are to dispense those same attributes and qualities to people around us. You're to be a grace dispenser and dispense grace to everybody around you. Your husband, your wife, your family, your children, your next-door neighbor, people who are your co-laborers and co-fellow workers for God in the church, we're to dispense grace. And grace means forgiveness. Grace means mercy. That means considering thyself, lest thou also should need some grace. That's right. The greatest thing about giving graciously is that we know what the Lord Jesus uh, graciously gave to us. And he was motivated by love. We give because it has to become our nature. God is a giving God because his nature is love. And out of his nature, God does everything. Everything he does, he does because his nature is love. And you can't love without giving. And God so loved the world that he gave his son. Giving and loving is so inexorably attached one to another that you cannot consider one without the other because love will propel you and will motivate you to be a giver. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 and 9, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, as you abound in everything, abound is from that word uh, meaning more than is necessary. Amen. Now, that's not common in our culture. We don't usually do more than is necessary. We do what is necessary. Nod your little head up and say, man, that's exactly right. If it's not uh, spelled out, then we don't go much beyond what we're expected to do. And the Bible said, as you abound in everything. The Bible said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. In other words, it's superabounding grace. Where sin abounds, there is superabounding grace. That means it covers it all. It's enough and then some. Enough and then some. And the Bible said that as you do everything, notice those first words, as ye abound, or that means doing more than necessary in everything. Therefore, if a man asks you to go one mile with him, go two. If a man asks you to give you his shirt, give him your coat also. In other words, what he's saying to us is do live a life of, life of superabounding grace and giving as ye abound in everything in faith. Do you have superabounding faith? Amen. Do you have faith? That can stand the test? Do you have faith that will see you through the storm? Do you have superabounding faith? You believe God no matter what, at all times, in all places, in every situation. You believe God. Is that your faith? Is that your faith? In faith and in utterance, in other words, when you speak, when you talk, and your knowledge in studying and knowing God, in all diligence, and in your love for, Paul said, for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, this is not something I'm requiring, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. 
the sincerity of your love. Now, to put this in context, what he's saying is, I, I really appreciate all of you that do ministry and work in the work of the Lord, but he said, I have a, a, a proposal that I have made that we all bear the burden with our brethren who are at Jerusalem. In other words, at Jerusalem, there's a new church been formed, a new group, uh, a new group of people in the world after Pentecost. After Pentecost, the birthday of the church, there became these small pockets of Christians all over the uh, known world at the time. And they began spreading the gospel of the saving grace of God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these pockets where they were located became called churches, churches at Ephesus, churches at Galatia, churches in Asia Minor, and then the, the churches in Macedonia, which is Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi. and all these Roman provinces, there arose these pockets of people called Christians that were doing the work of evangelism and taking the message to everybody, everywhere, all peoples, all races, all kinds. They took the message to all of them. But the Jerusalem church suffered greatly because it was in Jerusalem that the persecution was very strong by Jewish people that didn't embrace this new religion. So if you admitted to others that you were a Christian, in some instances you lost your job. If you said, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus, often that meant you were cast out of a family. If you said, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Lord Jesus and the saving grace of, of Jesus, I'm part of that band that's known as Christians, that would uh, cost you uh, many times socially, financially. And the Bible said, and the church there became to be in great want. In fact, when people traveled to Jerusalem from these foreign countries, 19 of them, that they traveled to, to uh, Jerusalem, and when they were converted there, 3,000 of them on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls, the Bible said, were added to their number and were baptized and became a part of the church. They never returned back home. They stayed there in Jerusalem and became converts to Christianity. So they had no jobs. They had no income. They had no livelihood whatsoever. And the Jewish church that was there took up such a great offering. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, it says they sold their possessions and their goods and they parted them to every man as every man had need. They gave it away. So there were no rich people in the church at Jerusalem to take care of the poor people. They were all poor. They were all impoverished. And Paul, knowing what was going on at Jerusalem and knowing the suffering of the early church there at Jerusalem, he, everywhere he went and established a Gentile church, he would tell them, I want you to be cognizant of what's going on at Jerusalem. And there are people that are there that are under great stress and great, great pressure. And they're being uh, terrorized by the Romans, yes, for being Christians. And they're being ostracized by their own countrymen and cast aside. And they're in dire circumstances. They have a terrible, terrible time making it. And I want you to take up an offering for them. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Gentiles have been mistreated by Jews for years. In fact, they've been called dogs by Jewish people. They've, they've been 
very, very distant. And the Jewish people look down upon all Gentiles. And now that since we've got saved and since we're converted, you're asking us now to go past these sociological barriers and to give to people that once hated us and we hated them. Now, I need you to see this picture really, really good here because it's what grace can do to you concerning what's going on in our culture and the social world. Because right now we've got a pandemic going on. We've got an election disputed. We've got all kind of chaos and all kind of divisiveness going on, all kind of accusations and all people, people calling people names and all of this hatred and animosity that's going on. But I want to hasten to tell you that has no place in the Christian church. No place. There, we are never, ever at liberty to have hatred toward another human being. Never. That's never to be found among God's people. And the Bible tells us, wherefore laying aside all malice, Come on, somebody. What is malice? Well, it's very close to rage. Very close. It's, it's an anger. The Bible said laying aside all malice and all envying. And the Bible said in all evil speaking. Come on, somebody. This is right out of the Word of God. All evil speaking and all guile. That's filthy talk. That's nonsensical talk. He said, let all of that, wherefore laying aside all of that, all evil speaking and all of that animosity and all malice and all hatred, he said, lay that aside. You mean I have the option? You mean I'm in control of that? Laying that aside. He's talking to you. This is something you do. Wherefore laying aside all of these things. Desire. Somebody say desire. Desire the sincere milk of the Word of God that ye may grow. Do you mean that even in the midst of all of this chaotic disputing, a Christian can grow? Yeah, you see, the way God strengthens you is the way people strengthen steel. They temper it. They temper it. And the more fire that you put to it and the more cooling, the more you add to its temperaments. Did you know God can get you to a place that no storm will hurt you and then no, no, will dent your faith, that, that, that rock upon which you stand, you can reach a place that you can stand through the most wretched and most distressful times simply because you know in whom you have believed and you're persuaded that he is able to keep what you committed to him against that day. You mean that hateful people don't have to be hateful? No. And it's a poor excuse to say, well, that's just how he is. That is lame as all get out. That's saying that God can't change people. To say someone will die like they live is to deny the saving grace of the Lord Jesus and say there's a soul he can't save. And I want you to know there's not a soul he can't save. And there's not a person he can't change. And there's not a person that he can't strengthen and empower and encourage to stand during difficult times. Yes, yes, 
it hurts when people say mean things about you. I don't guess there's a person seated here today that at some time in your life said somebody said something mean about you. True or untrue, it hurt. Some say that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is a lie. That is a lie. Words can kill you. Words can kill a, a person. Words can destroy your influence. Words can do all kinds of terrible damage and hurt in your life. With all that's going on in our country right now, we need the healing of Christian people to love and have faith in God and to express the love of God and the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus. So while he's telling these people that as Christians, no matter what the sociological things are, he said, you ought to love people who are in need. And he said, I want you to give. And now he's commending the Macedonian churches to this church at Corinth. He's writing to a church in Greece, and he's talking about the three churches in Macedonia and what a great job they have done so far that they have given out of their poverty. In other words, they're not rich by any means. But out of their poverty, they have given to people who are more impoverished than they are. Can you grasp that? I hope that you can grasp that. And he's motivating these people to give for this need, and he's using the Macedonian church and their leadership to motivate these people so that they'll do like them and give. And listen to me, that's what Christianity is all about. And that's what leadership is all about. Leadership is influence. And influence is motivating people to do right things. And that's why Christian leaders are so needed in the church today to do right things because they're teaching by example. Amen. So the Macedonian churches were teaching the Corinthian church and the Greek church to Give because of the grace of God. You have freely received, now freely give. Grace is free. There's no price. It's freely given to you. God freely gives us all things richly to enjoy. Freely you have received, now freely give. Graciously you have received, graciously give, he says. Praise God. And then he uses the greatest thing. Right in the middle of all of this, it comes to his mind. It's almost like he's writing a business letter and suddenly he gets spiritual. Writing a business letter, trying to raise some finances for people that really need it, and all of a sudden a spiritual thought just hits him right between the eyes. Read it in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Wow. Right here in the middle of this practical letter that he's writing, he drops a Christological gem of theology. Every now and then, Paul will just drop a gem 
right in the midst of all of his instructions about duties and responsibilities of elders, something will just strike him and he'll say something so theologically profound. It's like in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he's talking about another subject, but all of a sudden it just falls on For he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, Knew no sin, neither was there any guile ever found in his mouth. I mean, right in the midst of talking about, have you ever had a spiritual thought just to come to you right in the middle of your conversation about something that was unpertaining to what you were talking about? Suddenly, just a gem just dropped in on you. Well, that's the way this was. He was saying, you folks, as best you can, let's use this Macedonian example and let's give it a said. For you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was rich, but yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. What a great gem of theology and Christological understanding that is. The wonder of that verse is so captivating. It's pulsating in its vastness, its profundity, its reality, and its impact that transcends the infinite glory and the simplicity of its words. It's just 21 words in that verse. But those 21 words are so packed with a definition of what Jesus Christ did for us. It talks about his past. He was rich. He was rich. I want to tell you that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. His richness incurred all that God is, all that God does. He was there on the day of creation when Jehovah God, Yahweh, said, let us make man in our own image. And in the image and likeness of God created he him. He was there. The Bible said he was the Word in the beginning, the Word and the Word was made flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And that Word that was in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh. Jesus, as God of all, has always been. He is eternally the Son of God. He is eternally, eternally our Savior, the Son of the living God. He has always been. He is, and He always will be. Praise God. He was rich. Praise God. He was there when God said, let there be light. He was there when the Holy Spirit moved upon the deep, and the fountains of the deep were broken up. He was there when God took his finger and defined where the continents would be and where the basins of the water would, would be and told them where you can go this far and go no further. He was there when God made every animal, every creature of the earth. He was there with God when God said to Adam, you name all of these fish and all of these, these creatures and you have dominion over all of this and you replenish the earth. He was there when all of that took place. And the Bible said in Galatians 4 and 4, and when the fullness of time was come, when the eternal plan of God 
the eternal purpose of our living God on the day of its institution. The Bible said, on the fullness of time, God sent his son. Made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem those who all of their lifetime were in bondage. Oh, praise God. Jesus said, I did not come into this world to be to minister, but ministered to, but I came to minister. I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom. A ransom. Do you know what a ransom is? How would you prepare a ransom note for us? If we were kidnapped and someone was holding us for ransom, what do you think that ransom note would say? Here's the price for Don Maddox. He's a sinner. He's lost. He's born in sin. Has no ability to save himself. No ability to do anything to be delivered from the curse that he inherited. He's lost, has no hope. He's without God. He's an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. He's a stranger from the covenant of promise. He's depraved, lost in sin, cast down and can't get up. And the ransom for him, I've got him prisoner. I've got W.H. Ford where I want him. I've got him in bondage. And the ransom is blood. There's got to be some shedding of blood. How would your ransom letter read? Lost in sin. Lost having no hope without God. Lost in darkness. Lost in dirtiness. Depraved. Couldn't lift yourself up. You mean God would pay a ransom for someone that is in bondage like that? Someone that is totally depraved, that's totally lost and totally hopeless? You mean God cares about somebody like that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus, we used to sing a, a song years ago, he paid my pardon, he bought my pardon, he paid my ransom, he redeemed me. And we used to sing a, an old song, I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I have been redeemed. Wow. We used to sing, love lifted me when I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me when I couldn't help myself, 
when I couldn't pay my ransom, when I couldn't lift myself up, I was down and couldn't get up. There was a God who loved me so much that he didn't leave me in that condition. He loved me so much that he intervened into my crisis. And the Bible said he sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law that he might redeem, that he might redeem us. Oh, Jesus paid it all for me. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. Give the Lord a real good hand clap of praise. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Redeemer. Oh, what a burden bearer. He was rich. He was rich, but the Bible said he became poor. He became poor. Now, many would undertake to underscore that poverty as being material things, and they would point out to you that the foxes have holes and the fowls of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Well, he had a place to lay his head, but it was back at Nazareth. And he'd already left there. And that's why he didn't have a place to lay his head is because he left the place to lay his head. And why did he leave that place where he could have laid his head? Because they did not believe. And they sought to kill him. And he ran from there because of their unbelief. In Capernaum, he could have went there. He had good friends in Capernaum. But the Bible said that at Capernaum, they railed on him. And Jesus turned and cursed Capernaum and said, It will be more tolerable for you in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. Wow. He went to Chorazin, and the same thing happened. They rejected him and sought to kill him. And he stood and he condemned that city. And he said, It will be more tolerable for you for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. Why? Because they rejected the Lord Jesus and because they said no to God's gracious gift of salvation and that offer of redemption and ransom. And because they said no, Jesus left and became a, a traveling, enteric preacher. His friends were not all that wealthy people. They had an income. They were fishermen. So they had houses and they had Places to assemble and, and eat and feed their families. In fact, Jesus, up until the time that he went into ministry, he was, according to what the scribes and the Pharisees, is this not the carpenter? Is this not the one who had the carpenter shop? So he had a business, and he was building things and had a, an ability. As Joseph had an ability to feed his family. So I, I don't know if we can go too far with that thing about financial uh, being poor, but he became poor. He was rich, but he became poor. He would, in other words, give up his riches, the eternity, those things that he left heaven for. He was in the presence of angels where there was constantly saying, holy, 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 holy. He was constantly being worshipped and constantly being praised as God. He was constantly in the presence of the Father. 
And he said, you know the glory that we had in the beginning, and I want you to glorify me now with the glory that you and I had in the beginning before the world began. So what he's saying was he, he left the riches of heaven and became poor. Glory to God. It meant he lived the human experience with us without being human. <laughs> Hallelujah. What was he? He had a dualism. He was man, but he's also God. As man, he said, I thirst. But as God, he said, I am the fountain of living waters. And if any man drinks this water that I give him, he will never thirst again. As a man, he sat weary upon the well. But as God, he said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As a weary man, he slept in the hinder part of the ship. But as God, he awoke and said, peace be still. You see, he was every bit man, but he was every bit God as well. Hallelujah. Insomuch that never a man spake like this man. That this man could spit upon the ground and take the clay and anoint blinded eyes and they came seeing. This man could speak to a leper and his skin became white like a baby's fair skin. This man could stop a funeral procession and tell a dead boy to get up out of his casket and he would resurrect a new life hallelujah oh i'm telling you about a god a jesus he left heaven and came and brought among us but we beheld him as the only begotten the son of god he was rich but for our sakes he became poor if you could stop him on the road and say why are you doing this jesus he would say, for every lost boy and girl, every lost man and woman and child, that's why I'm doing this. For your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his action, his giving of himself. In fact, the Hebrew letter said, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Glory to God. I'm so glad he emptied himself for me. I'm so glad that he was willing to pay the price for my salvation. I'm so glad that when he read the ransom note and realized it would take blood, that that meant he would have to go to a cross, that he would be made sin for me, that he would be made the price, the paschal lamb, that he would shed his blood so that you and I might be made partakers with God. He became the propitiation for our sin. That means full payment in full, satisfactory. Hallelujah. And God himself accepted what Jesus did at Calvary's cross as payment in full for the sins of the whole world, for everyone now and forevermore. That sacrifice, that offering that was given for us is still still in effect 2,000 years later. He so loved that he gave. He was rich, but it, he became poor. That we through his poverty, through his poverty, well, a man came after him one day and he said, 
said, you owe taxes. You owe taxes. He says, Peter, go over to the lake, drop a line in. When you catch a fish, open its mouth, and there will be enough money there to pay our taxes. You know what that tells me? That tells me for every problem I've got, Jesus has got a solution. That tells me for everything I meet in my day, Jesus has the answer. That means for everything I'm confronted with, physical or material, Jesus has an answer. He is right for whatever is wrong. He is the solution to man's dilemma. He is the brightest star in God's, God's sky. He is the brightest personality in all of history. He is music's sweetest melody. He's the greatest gift that was ever given on this earth that's called the unspeakable gift. And in his dying upon the cross, when he said, it is finished, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What did he mean? He said, I have fulfilled my mission. I've done what I came into this world to do. And that was to pay the ransom. To pay the ransom. Pay the ransom so that every person can go free can go free he said that I could go free there's a story told about a Persian king and he wanted to find out what it was like to be poor and a peasant He'd been in royalty all of his life. He put on a garb and disguised himself as a peasant. And he found that in the palace, the lowest degree of persons were those folks that carried the fire around and put them in the fireplaces around to heat up the palace for royalty. And he found that person. He descended down into the basement of the palace. And he found him there. And when he found him, he sat down beside him. And that poor man was called the fireman. The man who brought the fire up to the fireplaces in the palace to make other people more comfortable. And this Persian king said, I want to get to know this man. And he said, he shared with me a, a crust of some black bread. And he said, I didn't tell him I was a king that feasted at feast tables, that I had not just one crust, but I had loaves of bread on my table. I didn't tell him anything about me or who I was or what I did. But he said, I took a piece of his bread and I ate it with him. And that went on for days until he knew him so well that he would go there often and sit and talk with this man in rags. And one day he said, I need to tell this poor, wretched man who I am, who I really am. And he said to him, would it surprise you to tell you that I'm not really who you think I am? That I really am the king of Persia. But I wanted to know you, so I came down here to meet you 
and see what life was like for you. And he said, now that I know, you just tell me. What do you want? Anything in my kingdom is yours. You just tell me. Anything you want, anything you desire, you can have it. It's all yours. And that poor beggar said to him, just don't stop coming down here and being my friend. Grace giving is when you give like Jesus gave. Dr. Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and writing to all of his comrades during a very difficult time, sent a telegram to each one. It had one word, others. Others. You see, that's the way that church and Christianity works. And Jesus even succinctly said it like this. Love thy neighbor as thyself. It's all right to love yourself. Just make sure you don't love yourself more than you love your neighbor. And in this time of individualism, when everyone wants his way, and everyone is so arrogant and so despiteful, wouldn't it be great if God's people could be gracious givers, grace givers, give like Jesus gave, Give like Jesus gave. Give like Jesus gave.